Well, indeed, and good morning, Moody Church. I don't know about you, but there are some words that I did not know until I began to read the Bible. And I got to confess, actually, sometimes I memorized some verses without actually knowing what some of the words meant. I came to Christ kind of in youth group age, didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I remember memorizing John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The problem is I didn't know what the word begotten meant. Actually, it was, there were certain words in the Bible that I assumed as, you know, maybe a 14 year old kid trying to memorize some of these verses that just had meaning that was outside of our normal knowledge and I couldn't know what it was, but he was begotten. And then I learned other words that just we don't use in day-to-day conversation. Um, I remember first reading and asking a question and watching my volunteer youth pastor's expression when I asked, what's all this talk of circumcision? That certainly caught the attention. And I think the answer was, go ask your parents. And they weren't particularly forthcoming either. Um, But one of the phrases that I memorized early on, I memorized a verse in the King James Version. And in the King James Version, the verse goes like this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I knew I wanted to pray like a righteous person. What I didn't know was what the word effectual or availeth actually meant. As a matter of fact, the word availeth, I've never seen the word availeth or actually heard anyone use the word avail outside of this verse. Now, the reason I tell you this is, is because in a more modern translation, we use the ESV here at Moody Church, it actually sounds a little different. And we're gonna talk today about trusting God in real life. We're gonna talk about living and demonstrating dependence through prayer. And we're gonna focus in on and zero in on and come back to this passage in James chapter five, beginning at verse 16, which is the passage I just quoted in the King James Version where I memorized it as a young man, but it's the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, or let's be honest, it availeth much, right? So again, that phrase sort of resonates with us if we've memorized this, but James 5.16 sets up and is the key passage to the rest of this whole section. And we're gonna look at the whole section and in doing so, I think we're going to learn a lot about prayer and how ultimately this is related to our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. Let me read James chapter five, beginning at verse 13. It says this, is any among you suffering? We're gonna go 13 all the way to the end of the book of James, which actually finishes the book of James for us. And then the next few weeks we'll actually be in a series kind of preparing for the coming of our new pastor. Uh, We just heard from Pastor Philip a minute ago and we'll start that series next week. Here's the passage, James chapter five, beginning of verse 13. Is any among you suffering? We'll be talking about that and obviously connecting this to some of the events the last few weeks. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's the verse, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, it availeth much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering 
will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's a lot going on in this passage. We could spend three or four weeks on this section. I might have even preferred that, but my time is short. And so they're giving me the privilege to finish up the letter of James to share of the next few weeks. I'll share two of the three weeks of the next few weeks, and then I'll actually finish my service here as your interim teaching pastor. And I'm happy to be able to do so. Um, Now, again, this passage here, he ends the book with what clearly is a prayer focus. He spent much of the book talking about maturity and calling us to spiritual maturity. And then he brings us to prayer. Why? Because prayer is something that spiritually mature people do, but also something we need to grow into spiritual maturity. It's both a cause and an effect. Prayer leads us to maturity and then mature people pray. So verses 13 through 20 are really focused on prayer, mostly in those verses on different kinds of circumstances, because I believe that spiritual maturity always includes a strong and dependent prayer relationship with God personally, in situations of need, and with others. We don't pray because we're strong, but because we realize we are weak without God and we need his grace and strength. So James becomes very pastoral at the end. Uh, Remember, we talked earlier about how faith is actually a gift by God's grace. And through faith, we receive the eternal life he has for us. We are born again. We're changed by the power of the gospel. Becoming a Christian is about receiving Jesus, what work he has done on the cross for our sin and in our place. And living as a Christian takes an ongoing relationship with him, primarily expressed through the reading of God's word and through prayer. And spiritual maturity always includes a strong, independent prayer relationship with God. We're going to see that personally. This is literally the outline, personally, through the prayer of the elders and through community. Let's first and foremost take a look at this uh, personally. Let's take a look at this personally, right? So this is where it begins, and it actually refers to you and me in a personal situation in James chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Isn't that a really important verse for us this week and the last few weeks. Actually, it's enabled us to pray alongside and to hurt alongside with people who are been hurting for a long time. And I'm so thankful that Moody Church in so many ways has engaged in the midst of some of the brokenness and the hurt that our African-American community and members have felt. Uh, Many in the Faith Leaders March in Bronzeville, uh, many praying and sharing and reaching out to others, many acknowledging that is anyone suffering? The answer is yes, and we can come alongside those who are suffering. Well, it says let him pray. Now, there's personal, but we're going to see communal is deeply tied to this. Also, too, I mean, then even driving here this morning, we broadcast live here. Uh, This is not pre-recorded. We broadcast live driving by boarded up windows upon windows, having walked through the community of Bronzeville and seeing the destruction that has been brought by looting and rioting. We have all kinds of people even there in that march stopping and praying for people in those high rises who now have no access to the medicine that they need because their pharmacy is gone. Is anyone among you suffering? Yes. Here's the reality. We can actually acknowledge all kinds of suffering and in all those cases, stand with those who suffer but ultimately remind all of us that we can, should, and must come to the Lord. 
Now, mind you, don't misunderstand. That's not the part of the challenge in situations like this is everyone wants to make it a personal thing when there are communal issues to be addressed. We've addressed those at other times. That's not what this passage specifically addresses. There are communal issues. There are issues that are systemic and more. But here it talks about the resilience that comes from a suffering person who has lost much and suffered long. And it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. I don't want you to miss those things, right? So in the midst of these realities, because we have direct access to God personally, right? Personally, Eugene Peterson puts it this way, God is a personal reality to be enjoyed. We are so created and so redeemed that we are capable of enjoying him, unquote. And the reminder of this is birthed, James reminds us, in suffering and in cheerfulness. And have you wondered why sometimes those who have walked through the most difficulty and the most uh, oppression may have sometimes the songs of the deepest lament and the deepest joy. We see that in the richness of the African-American worship tradition, right? The African-American spirituals and more. Why? Because there's an acknowledgement that in the midst of struggle, we need to go to the Lord. First Peter 5, 7 puts it this way. It says, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Now, I want you to remember this is really important because you might be saying, well, gosh, is this everything I need to know about the current circumstance? Absolutely not. Not every verse teaches everything, but every verse teaches something. And this verse is related to how we might come to him in the midst of suffering to pray, in the midst of cheerfulness to sing praises. And the reminder of both is we need Jesus in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of our joy. And what a reminder that was the last few weeks. Joseph Scriven wrote a song in 1855. People didn't know he wrote it for 30 years. He graduated from college, was then getting married, and his fiance died the night before they were supposed to get married. He got engaged again to Eliza Roche, and she died just before their wedding as well. He then joined the Plymouth Brethren to work with the elderly. He wrote the song to comfort his mother. It was called Pray without ceasing, though someone named Charles Converse would actually put music to it later and change the name. Here's how it went, the song he wrote for his mother. It goes, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Actually, I have all the words of all four stanzas, though in my church, I remember sometimes we'd only sing the first, the second, and the fourth. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The reminder, I won't go through the whole song, but it says, are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So the reminder here that James has for us and that we have to live the privilege to live today is that in the midst of pain and difficulty and let's not forget we're in the midst of a global pandemic where people have suffered and been sick we're in the midst of a global recession bordering on a depression where people have lost their jobs have lost their livelihood so in the midst of all of these things if you and if you had in your bingo card all of these things in one row you win but the rest of us have kind of lost But the reality is that means there's a lot of hurting 
people. People have been hurting a long time. People are hurting in fresh new ways. So what's the answer? Well, the, this is not the whole answer, but this is certainly part of the answer. Look with me at Philippians chapter four, beginning at verse six. Don't be anxious. These are easy words to say, maybe hard words to live, but they're still words that are universally true because they're in the word of God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you can pray, right? You can pray for justice. You can pray for comfort to the family of George Floyd and others. You can pray for communities impacted by a huge downturn in the economy. You can pray for the sick and those who love them. You can pray for communities that have been now impacted by rioting and looting and more. You can pray. Pray is not the only thing you should do, but we ought not to discard. Maybe it actually became a thing that people would be against thoughts and prayers. I mean, people would start saying, don't, don't just send thoughts and prayers. Well, first, don't just send thoughts and prayers, but thank God for the privilege to bring prayers to the God who loves us. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to the Lord in prayer. It says, let your requests be known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. And that's what we need, right? Guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So the reminder is clear and evident before us. Spiritual maturity we see always involves a strong and dependent prayer relationship with God personally in situations of need and with others. Working through the passage, we'll look number two on our outline. Number one is personally, right? Number two is through the prayer of the elders. So we're talking about prayer. The clear theme of this passage is prayer. He talks about Elijah in just a minute. The theme of this passage is prayer. And one of the applications of the theme of this passage is prayer um, of the elders. Let me give you the details. Let's say what's going on here in the rest of the passage. It says this in James chapter five, moving forward. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Again, when we hear the word sick today, maybe we think of COVID-19. Fair enough. But we could think of a whole lot of sicknesses that have proceeded and will still be around if and when COVID-19 is long gone. But this passage has remained true 2,000 years still today. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him or her, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so here's a passage, right? Here's a passage with a clear teaching. Now you may ask, okay, Moody Church, do you do this? And the answer is yes. Why? Because it's in the Bible. So why do we do it? In obedience to Christ. Let's continue to what it says, right? And the prayer of faith will save up the one who's sick. Not the oil. The oil is in all likelihood a symbolically connected reference, but still a biblical teaching to the idea that sometimes people would actually use oil in those days as a medicine itself. But certainly there's a long teaching and tradition in the scriptures of oil and the place of oil as a symbolic moment of anointing. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So you might ask, well, Ed, should I call for the elders of the church when I'm sick? And I, my answer would be simply this is, do you wanna follow the teachings of the Bible? The teachings of the Bible say that's what you should do. Now we do that. We don't, you don't see it as often in the gathered time that we used to come to this place called church. And we used to go to these things called meetings and do these things called singing together. But the reality is um, 
there are times when you will come and say, pastors, elders, I am sick. This is serious. I need your prayers. And we will come and we will anoint you with oil. Um, actually, most Sundays when we did this thing called gathering together, I actually have in my pocket a little vial of olive oil. I'm giving away all my secrets now that my time of interim teaching pastor is coming to an end uh, so that those times when someone might ask me to pray, it's happened more than one occasion, I have in this place prayed for God to heal. Now you might say, well, that's a controversial topic. Healing is a controversial topic. I, I actually get it because there are charlatans out there who are lying, fooling people and promising things that are simply not true. Here's the reality. Um, I wish I could say that miracles happened all the time, but they're miracles because they don't happen all the time. If they happened all the time, we'd call them Thursdays, uh, but they're miracles. There are a bunch around Moses, around Elijah and Elisha, a couple at Babylon, times of Daniel, a bunch around Jesus and the disciples. But think about this, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Isaiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, no miracles. But the Bible tells me to pray, so I do. And I've prayed for someone who's sick and I've seen them miraculously healed. And I've prayed for a lot of people who are sick who I didn't see miraculously healed, including the person I prayed for the hardest, my sister, who died of cancer just in her young adult years. It's interesting because it's no, how do we respond? And I think the way we respond is in obedience. The Bible says it, we do it, right? I wish everything was always healed. Paul actually doesn't heal Timothy and tells, instead tells him to have some wine to help. In 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. We don't quote that verse too much. I know I don't. Uh, I'm a Baptist, so I don't drink um, in front of other people or in any time or place or way, just so we're clear, since this is on video. Um, but here's the reality is we pray with the knowledge that God has called us to pray and we pray for healing. And so if you ask us to come pray for you, we're not going to come and say, Lord, I mean, you probably don't want to, but maybe if you, if you, if you just, if you thought you could, we're going to pray, say, God, heal this person. You say, well, what's going to happen if it doesn't happen? We're going to leave that to God. We're just going to be obedient to him. We believe 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, we're going to ask everything as best we can according to his direction. Trust him to respond according to his will. He hears us. And if we know he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We're going to ask him to intervene. Why? Because what we see in this passage is a clear teaching that we're to pray. Now, now, mind you, we could spend a whole week on that. Now, the intent of James here is not to teach everything the Bible has to say on healing, nor is the intent of this whole passage to talk about everything the Bible teaches about, for example, how to respond to the injustices of the world and the brokenness of the world around us. But the focus James has here as he closed his letter on maturity is to bring us to be people of prayer. But then he ties it into a, another, another subject, if you will. Let's take a look at it. Because number three, number one is personally. Number two, three, the prayer of the elders. Number three is through community. And then in James chapter 5, verse 16 and following, here's what it says. It says, therefore, okay, remember we talked about this when we read our Bibles, right? Whenever there's a therefore, we ask, what's it there for? What's it connecting to? Well, actually, it's connecting to the passage before to pray for one another. And it does deal with sins, which leads some people to ask, so let me bring some clarity from the teaching of Scripture throughout the teachings of Scripture. Uh, all sickness is not caused by sin. 
and sin does not always cause sickness. But I think even doctors today would tell us that there are sins that lead to sickness. There's a connection, though not always a complete correlation. And sometimes people misread this passage and say, if you just confess your sins, then the sickness that you have might be healed. Well, that's not always the case because there's not always a connection between the two, right? So let's take a look. Matter of fact, let me say more clearly, there's very infrequently a connection between the two. We know that people may indeed, through a life of anger and bitterness, have health implications that flow from that. We know that lifestyle choices can lead to health implications, but here the point that James is making is a point that we're going to God with prayer, with the elders in need, one example health, the other example sin. Let's take a look. Confess, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer, there's that verse. I know you want to say, right, effectual prayer, effectual and availeth. Let's try to work effectual and availeth into every conversation we can this week. But the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So just a reminder, the theme is prayer, right? So James, at the end of a robust teaching on spiritual maturity, that, that faith without works is dead, that's not to be faith that is alone, not to be faith that doesn't lead to works of spiritual maturity. So again, uh, it's essential that we not miss the powerful role of confession, even in prayer and in times with one another, which reminds us, we see clearly that this is a community action, right? James chapter five says, confess your sins to one another. Now that's led sometimes to the misguided idea that only a special person has some sort of stand-in power to forgive your sin. But I want you to know that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you confess your sins, God is God, God, not me, not some pastor. God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. But don't miss this. There's still something going on here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. So don't miss this, right? It's personally, right? It's in community, we see that through, through the prayer of the elders and in community. So you're to confess your sins to one another. Now, I want you to know, Donna knows some of my sin. I mean, knows most of it because she has these things called eyes and ears. And she can actually tell and she tolerates my foolishness. And I'm thankful for that. And if you're watching, I really want to apologize for this morning. Anyway, moving on from there. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but you know, there's also a time and place that others in my life to whom I'm accountable, I actually share some of my struggles with. There are people to whom, in addition to my wife, that I am fully known. Now, if you're not married, you have to make a decision. Does that mean the only person that knows your struggles is you? Well, actually, if you're married, is the only person who really knows your struggles you? You say, well, I tell God. Well, this passage reminds us it's community that ultimately makes a difference. The theme is prayer. Confession is part of that. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. There have been cycles in my life where I've met with a small group of men, a couple of men usually, and we'd pray together, confess our sins to one another, and pray for one another. But don't miss that in the midst of all this confessing and healing and and, and all that's here that James's point is, is prayer. So let's go back to prayer and look at James 5.17. So back to prayer, right? Because it says, right after dealing with confess your sins one to another, James is reminding us, I'm just walking through the passage. We're going to verse 20. We're at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Kind of reminding Elijah was human. 
He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So why the Elijah illustration? Well, you know, when I prepare a message, one of the things I do is I will sometimes walk, let me just tell you how pastors think, right? I'll sometimes say, let's take a look at the text, right? Here's the text, right? We start with the text. Then we explain the text. It's called exposition, right? So we do exposition. We explain the text as we go through it. And then we do something called illustration. Is After that, I'll sometimes have an illustration. Illustrations are not random things that I come up with that I wanted you to know about. I write them in my notes and I tell you them and use an illustration to illustrate the point of the exposition, the explanation of the text and the text itself. That's what James seems to be doing here, right? The, righteous, the prayer of a righteous man availeth or accomplishes great things. Oh, and Elijah is an example, is an illustration of that. So Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So if Elijah was a human, same nature as we do, and he prayed with such faith, James is pointing us to the reminder about the need for such a life of prayer. But it doesn't end there, right? So we look at prayer because, remember, spiritual maturity always includes a strong and dependent prayer relationship with God personally in situations of need, which we dealt with healing and confession, and with others. This is the dealing with community, right? That's the confess your sins one another, pray for one another. Then James gives us the example of Elijah, and then he comes with a reminder about restoration, a reminder about restoration, just almost tagged at the end of the book, could be very well a sermon on its own. But here in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, I could quote another hymn right here, couldn't I? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Wanders from the truth, someone brings him back, right? And hopefully maybe even now you're praying for somebody who has wandered from the truth and praying to bring her or him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James brings us to this passage and this reminder that we can indeed and are called to help restore others and to do so lovingly and to do so remembering ultimately that we ourselves could wander. Look at, look at Galatians chapter six, verses one and two. It says this, it says, brothers, if someone, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you should tweet about him or her. No, you should tell your friends about him or her. You should start a prayer chain, which is really a gossip chain about him or her. No, it doesn't say any of those things. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch. Isn't that a great reminder, right? In a social media age, keep watch on yourself, on yourself. When my kids were, this is an illustration, by the way, since I was explaining this. When my kids were younger, we watched this little video of this kid. This is before memes were as big a thing. This little kid was in the back seat, in the car seat. And so to this day, my kids use this phrase, but the little kid was uh, saying, do you want me, the dad said, do you want me to help you put you on your seatbelt? Little kid, I don't even know, maybe, maybe two years old, says, no, no. And you drive, you drive. And then the little kid says, you mind your own self. You mind your own self. And it was just the cutest thing because you know, all of those words are words that, you know, probably the parents had said somebody, now mind your own self, mind your own self. Boy, what a great idea for social media in 2020. What a great idea for relationships at Moody Church. What a great idea for gospel caring. Keep watch on yourself. Mind your own self. 
lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we go through these examples, but prayer is the recurring theme. Prayer is the recurrent focus as we come to the end of this. Why? Because maturity, which is James' focus and theme, leads us ultimately to be people of prayer. It both leads us to grow in our maturity and mature people pray. I got to grow in that area. Probably you do as well. It's a constant reminder for all of us. But don't forget the part of this passage is James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I'm going to stop saying availeth much right now, but I believe in all my heart that the effectual prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It accomplishes much. Avail means to bring to use or for something to happen or be in place. So as it is working, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. I want that to be a description of me. It's not always confess my sins to one another, right? I don't always have the prayer life that God has called me to have. Um, Maybe you don't either. But you know, this week has kind of driven me to prayer and action. My guess is it's driven a lot of us to prayer and action. Times of mourning and struggle and hurting. Maybe we're praying for people we didn't pray for before. Maybe we're praying in ways we haven't prayed before. But I believe with all my heart, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's doing so personally. If anyone's hurting, suffering, we pray. Cheerful, we sing praise. Through the prayer of the elders, for people who are sick, we pray for them. We lay hands, anoint them with oil. People need to confess their sins to one another. And we do that through a community, that community confession, that seeing the example of Elijah bringing people back who maybe have wandered away as we pray for them. Spiritual maturity includes a strong and dependent prayer relationship with God personally in situations of needs and with others. Brothers and sisters, those of you watching around the world, Chicago needs your prayer. Um, The brokenness of our community, the results of looting and rioting this week, the ongoing reality that our city is one of the most segregated cities in America and educational outcomes are different depending upon what zip code or neighborhood you live in. The fact that followers of Jesus are unsure how to respond. The fact that some people that we love and care about now can't get medicine at stores they could just last week. There's a lot to pray for, but you know, we have a great God. We have a God who loves us, who calls us to bring to him our hurts and our struggles. Because indeed, what a friend we do have in Jesus. The reminder for us is that he's all to us. He's what we need. He's going to give us the strength to get through. Don't, don't say, well, well, that means we don't need to do something. No, I, I've never seen somebody who loves Jesus, who's leaning all upon Jesus, then say, and I don't need to care about my neighbor. I don't need to care about the brokenness. I don't need to care about the lostness, but we can come to the Lord. And I invite you to do that today. Father, we acknowledge indeed, Jesus, that your your goodness is evident in the midst of a lot of brokenness and hurt, that your presence is here and real. And we come before you as we prepare our hearts, even for the Lord's Supper today, with a reminder that indeed you are all to us. We lean upon you. Maturity is our heart's desire, and that's always connected to prayer. Remind us again and again as we remind ourselves that you indeed are all to us. 
for it's in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake that we pray. Amen and amen.